This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, JJ Zacharisa. What's up, everyone? It's JJ Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and at NumberFire.com, and this is episode 218 of the Late Round Podcast, one of the many shows that are part of the NumberFire Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. Fantasy football value comes down to opportunity and efficiency. If a player has a whole lot of opportunity in his offense with high efficiency, he's going to be a fantasy football stud. If he's got a lot of opportunity and low efficiency, then he might not be as useful. And if the opportunity just isn't there, then he's completely worthless from a fantasy perspective. Opportunity comes in the form of targets and attempts, and a lot goes into that. Coaching decisions drive opportunity. So does talent. I always say that targets aren't some statistic of random chance. It's a statistic of skill. A player generally has to be good in some way to see a target. But opportunity also has to do with situation, as does efficiency. LaShawn McCoy running behind Buffalo's offensive line with a rookie quarterback under center was a lot different in 2018 than Todd Gurley running in a smart scheme behind a good offensive line. And we saw the difference in fantasy points as a result. So on today's show, I'm going to dive into the impact of situation. How important is it to target players in a good offense? And maybe the more important question is, can we even predict which offenses are going to be good? Because if we can't do that at all, then this doesn't even matter. But let's start off with looking at the descriptive data and whether or not it means anything for a fantasy asset to be part of a good offense. There are plenty of ways to measure offensive production, and no one statistic is going to tell you everything. We do know that simply looking at yardage totals isn't the best way to determine an offense's effectiveness, though, because game script can really impact how many rushing and passing yards a team has as can general team play calling. The Steelers, for example, finished with the second fewest rushing yards in football in 2018. Does that mean they were the second worst rushing team in the NFL? No, of course not. They didn't run the ball as many times as other teams did, so you wouldn't expect them to have huge cumulative numbers. There are other ways to look at it. You may want to look at per rush efficiency, and you'd find that their yards per carry average ranked 25th, which is higher than their overall ranking. Or you can look at an expected points model, and you can see that their rushing offense ranked 17th on a per rush basis or at least that's according to NumberFire's expected points model. With this kind of high-level analysis, I tend to focus on expected points models because it's not as skewed like standard counting stats can be. Just as an example, an EP model is going to credit a team interception in a better way than what a box score will say. Instead of all interceptions being equal, expected point models know that they're not. A pick six is more impactful than an interception on a Hail Mary, for instance. Now that's just one example. This show isn't to explain net expected points and what it's all about. If you want to learn more about it, I did an evergreen show all the way back on episode 14. But I'll be using NumberFire's net expected points model on today's show as our baseline for offensive production. Specifically, we'll be looking at points added on a per-play basis. Now, just to put your mind at ease, this model isn't some sort of insane calculation that makes objectively bad offenses good ones and vice versa. In 2018, the Chiefs ranked first in per-play efficiency offensively. Then it was the Saints. Then the Rams, Patriots, Chargers, Steelers, and Colts. I think we can all agree that that makes sense. And on the opposite side of things, Arizona was worst, then Jacksonville, then the Jets, then the Bills. The rankings aren't crazy. Going back to the original question of how important offenses are to fantasy production, I was curious to see where offenses ranked for the good fantasy assets that we've seen over the last handful of years. So I charted the points per game averages of all 200 plus attempt passers since 2011 versus that player's offensive team rank. So we're looking at relevant quarterbacks in their fantasy points per game averages, and we're comparing them to their overall offensive ranking. The 200 attempts thing is pretty arbitrary, but it's a way to filter out the one-off quarterbacks who don't have a large enough sample size to draw points per game conclusions from. 
Now, unsurprisingly, of all the main fantasy football positions, quarterbacks had the strongest correlation between their offenses per play efficiency and the number of fantasy points they scored per game. This intuitively makes sense because quarterbacks own their offenses. They control so much of their offense. Since 2011, we've had 282 seasons where a quarterback threw 200 or more attempts. Of the top 56 seasons in fantasy points per game, so the top 20% of points per game seasons, all but one of them were in offenses that ranked in the top 15 according to Numberfire's expected points model. That one quarterback was Deshaun Watson's rookie season, so his overall team's offensive numbers are messed up because they had Tom Savage playing quarterback for half the season. Now, I'm using a random top 56 cutoff there for effect. Essentially, you don't start to find bad offenses until about the 80th percentile of quarterback performers. But like I said, this isn't very surprising when quarterbacks are going to have a lot of say in how well their overall offenses perform. And if they're performing well, they're probably doing all right in fantasy. Where things get interesting is at the other positions. Now let's start at running back. To get a sample to compare to points per game, I had to set another arbitrary cutoff somewhere. So for running backs, I looked at all 50 plus attempt seasons and compared those players' fantasy points per game average to the offenses that they were in. I charted their offenses per play efficiency versus their points per game averages. And there was little correlation between the two. You would think that good offenses provide good opportunities for running backs, considering they'd be placed in more high-scoring spots. But when looking at the entire sample, that wasn't really the case. There's some correlation, but not a lot. But like most things fantasy football and correlation related, it's important to look at the extremes. When setting parameters around such a large sample, it's actually not shocking that there's little correlation because technically, there are backup running backs within that sample which can ruin the data set a bit. The truth is, of the more than 560 running back seasons analyzed here, it was rare for a player in a horrific offense to rank highly in points per game. Of the 90th percentile and higher running back seasons since 2011, 50% of them came from top 10 offenses. Just 5% of them were from offenses that ranked 25th or worse, and 77% of them were in offenses that ranked in the top half of the league. And again, this is all according to Numberfire's expected points model. So even though the correlation within the sample wasn't very strong, there's something there when looking at the elite performances that we've seen over the last eight years. If you've got a top tier guy, chances are he's playing in an above average offense. I did the same exercise for 50 plus target receivers and tight ends since 2011. For wide receivers, there was less correlation than at running back across the entire sample. But of the 90th percentile guys and higher, half also came from top 10 offenses. 75% of them came from top half offenses, and about 10% of them came from offenses that were 25th or worse. So you could argue it didn't look as favorable as running back, but it certainly wasn't unfavorable. And tight end was then mostly the same. So basically, from a season-long perspective, there seems to at least be something with elite players in fantasy football and their tendency to be in good offenses. Now, I don't think that this is something that people would debate because it's a natural thought to have. Good offenses are scoring points, and when teams are scoring points, they're also scoring fantasy points. So even a part-time player in a top offense can be as valuable as a higher-volume player in a terrible one. The big question is whether or not all of this is predictive. Can you spot which offenses will be good entering a season and then use that to help your decision-making during your draft? Now, there are tons of ways to test something like this, and some of the ways I'm not nerdy enough to do but I'm going to keep things consistent and just look at the year-over-year -year marks within Numberfire's expected points model. Basically, I'm just curious as to how sticky the schedule-adjusted numbers are. From an overall offensive standpoint, the year-over-year -year correlation in adjusted net expected points is 0.26, and the adjusted part just means that it's adjusted for strength of opponent. That's really not all that bad for football purposes. 
What's sort of interesting is that the correlation we see in offense has a lot more to do with passing than rushing. There's virtually no correlation year over year with strong rushing attacks. But passing attacks have an R-squared of .28. It's better than overall offense. So you may be wondering why that's the case. Well, it's probably because we know that there are quarterbacks who are good year in and year out no matter their situation. And there are other teams that see quarterbacks come and go. Injuries hypothetically only make that R-squared number worse, too. Not only that, but there's a larger discrepancy between the best passing teams and the worst passing teams by adjusted net expected points each year because passing can really do a lot for a team and it can really hurt a team. With running, the best rushing team in football won't be a ton better than just an average one. You can even see that in basic yards per attempt metrics. The difference between the very best team in rushing yards per attempt versus the worst in 2018, so the Panthers versus the Cardinals, was 1.3 yards. You can find a 1.3 yards per pass attempt difference between the top-ranked Chiefs and the 12th-ranked Eagles, or the 3rd-ranked Rams and the 21st-ranked Vikings. This is part of the reason we're bound to see variance in running games each season. We're typically measuring the success of a running game by its efficiency, but when that efficiency is so close to matching a team above it, it's not very difficult to jump far in the rankings and take a nosedive in the rankings year over year. And to be clear, with rushing efficiency not carrying much year-over-year weight, that doesn't mean that fantasy running backs won't either. Remember, fantasy football isn't just about rushing efficiency. It's about volume and scoring. Since good passing offenses are theoretically generating more scoring opportunities and positive game scripts, the rushing efficiency side doesn't matter a whole lot for fantasy purposes. That's why we saw elite running backs with high points per game averages usually residing in good offenses. So what this means is that predicting which offenses will be good if you want to approach it in the simplest way possible is just looking at the passing attack and going from there. We generally know that the Packers, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Saints, the Chiefs, we know probably 10 offenses that should safely finish in the top half of the league in effectiveness next year based solely on their passing attack. And if you can find players within those offenses who are cheaper than they should be from an average draft position standpoint, you're winning. This is no different than what I talked about in the breakout running back episode that I did last year. One of the key takeaways was finding a player in a good offense. So I talked about targeting the Packers and the Patriots. James White, Sony Michelle, and Aaron Jones all became things in fantasy football this year. Those are three of a possible five running backs out of those backfields who were being drafted basically after the fifth round. That's a pretty damn good hit rate. I should also note that defensive metrics have very poor year-over-year correlation. Offense is where things are stickier, specifically passing offense. Pass defense has a stronger correlation than rush defense, but overall, defense is weaker than offense at being sticky one year to the next. So that means a team like the Bears or the Ravens are more likely to drop next season on defense than the Chiefs on offense. So the overall takeaway here may be an obvious one, but I think it's necessary to talk through in order to refine your process. I don't think you can solely draft for situation, because situation does change a lot year over year but I also don't think that you can just simply dismiss it. We see some correlation with overall offense and passing offense year over year, so it's important to utilize that. And remember, it's not just about finding teams to target either. It can be about finding offenses to avoid, similar to what I talked about with LaShawn McCoy before the season started. Sometimes situations are obviously bad, and at those extremes is where you can take advantage of this type of information. And just because there are examples like the jump the Rams made when Jeff Fisher left or the dreadfulness of the Arizona Cardinals in 2018, just because those examples exist doesn't mean that we should just ignore situation. We're still playing probability, and there's no reason to ignore that. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. If you've yet to subscribe to the Late Round Podcast, make sure you are by searching for it on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And I'm also on Twitter, at LateRoundQB. 
If you have a question for this week's mailbag episode, you can hit me up on there or you can email me at jj at numberfire.com. Thanks everyone. Talk to you later in the week.